Hey everybody, welcome back to Hopelessly Tatiana. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Theo A. Cope. He's here to speak to us today about Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. I know that that was in November. I'm a bit behind. This episode was recorded in November, um, but I'm excited to bring you guys this episode so you have a chance to hear what his thoughts were and I was blown away. So Dr. Theo A. Cope holds an MA and a PhD in psychology. He is a certified family consultant and a positive psychotherapist with a certification granted by the World Association of Positive Psychotherapy in Germany. Now, positive psychotherapy is a transcultural and cross-cultural therapeutic method, which began in 1968. Dr. Theo Cope also holds a certification in stress surfing training, which is a modality of positive psychotherapy. He's worked in different areas around China um, as a psychologist and as a psychotherapist. He worked for ISOS in Dalian for five years, and he's worked at Raffles in Beijing as the head of the mental health department there. Currently, he's working at Calm International, which is a Singaporean company that has offices in Beijing and in Shanghai. Uh, Dr. Theo Cope works with individuals who are processing depression, anxiety, eating disorders, self-harm, sex and alcohol addiction, stress, cultural adjustments, bipolar, ADHD, as well as relationship challenges and skill enhancements. He is excellent and I am so excited to bring you guys this episode. I'm Tatiana and you're listening to Hopelessly Tatiana. Awesome. So hello, Mr. So do you like to go by Theo or Mr. Coop or what is the Well yeah, I mean my name's Theo. It doesn't matter to me. Like, you know, <laughs> clients call me Dr. Cope or Dr. Theo, but I tell uh, them my name is Theo, not Doctor. <laughs> You're the first doctor I know that doesn't want to be addressed as doctor. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, when I got my PhD, it's like, okay, now what does that mean? Piled high and deep or something like that, right? I mean, I don't have one, so I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All I know is it's a lot of school and everybody who does it deserves a medal. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of school. And then doing psychotherapy training after that is a few more years. Really? So how many years of school is it total? Well, for the PhD, you know, it was four years. And then for the psychotherapy training, it was four years after that. Because wow. doing, doing counseling and then the psychotherapy because there's, you know, different levels of it. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. eight additional years. So you've got like four years of undergrad, at least three years of master's plus clinicals, and then four years of PhD and then four years of psychotherapy. That's like over a decade of school. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's wow. why I'm an old man doing this stuff. No. Wow. Well, yeah. Mr. Cope, thank you so much for joining us on our on my show. Um, as everyone knows, I'm Tatiana, and our wonderful guest today is Dr. Cope. He is a positive psychotherapist, and I'm really excited to have him on the show to talk about 
Men's Health Awareness Month. So welcome, Mr. Gope. Yeah, thanks, Tatiana. And I know you've been, you know, going through illness yourself and then with everything that's happening here. So I'm glad we're able to pull it together to do this. I am too. It's been kind of a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me a bit more about you. Like what brought you to Beijing? Well, you know, I moved into China initially in 1998, and I've lived in different cities and different provinces of China. And in 2014, I had an opportunity to come into Beijing and to work for a company it's called International SOS and now Raffles Hospital. Uh, so I moved here for that. And before that, I had lived for nine years in Dalian and another other cities and other provinces as well. So that's what brought me into Beijing is to do the psychotherapy. Before that, I was teaching and doing counseling. Oh, okay. So what exactly is positive psychotherapy? <laughs> well, what I want to do here, and I think this is an important uh, question, because if somebody's from the United States and they know about positive psychology, they may know that Martin Seligman had used the term that he's calling positive psychotherapy. Um, but actually, positive psychotherapy, and the name has been changed a couple years ago to make this clear differentiation. It's called positive and transcultural psychotherapy. That's the oh. approach that I use. Okay. Um, and in part because, to be honest, Tatiana, when uh, Martin Seligman was given some kind of an award, it was actually at a time when the copyright for the name Positive Psychotherapy in the United States expired. Oh, okay. And because it's in Europe, uh, and uh, he took over that, that name. So Positive and Transcultural Psychotherapy is an approach created by an Iranian psychiatrist na whose name was Nostrat Pesheshkian. He lived in Germany for 50 years. And it's an uh, integrative approach. It began in the late 1960s. And the, the word positive is you know, referring to what's, what's real, what's given. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. What's positive about depression? Can you think of anything? Ooh. That sounds like a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> that really sounds like a trick question because naturally depression is, you know, a negative thing. It's you feel low, you know, your brain waves are, I believe, typically in uh, theta. I'm making stuff up, <laughs> but I know that overall yeah. you tend to yeah. have lower responses to things, but I, I don't. See, like I'm a weird person because I could see positive outcomes from depression um, okay. because I kind of believe that if you are depressed it's in this I'm stealing this from Jim Carrey but it's depression is your avatar saying it's tired of wearing a face um, or the mask you're wearing so I okay. kind of feel like it has the ability to let you know that something is not right there's an imbalance in your life somewhere but I don't know that that is the answer you were looking for. <laughs> uh, I was looking for your answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, and I think that's, you know, that's an interesting point. And I think there is some validity to it. And one of the elements that's positive in depression, it's the, a, a capacity for deep self-reflection. Mm. 
a lot of people don't think about their lives, to be honest, right? Um, but somebody who's depressed, they really focus too much on their life, but that is a, a capacity. So it's also what's positive about anxiety. It's a, a person's ability to imagine scenarios in the future that they want to avoid. So okay. we have a capacity of being worried. We have a capacity of doing, you know, forward-looking strategy type of thinking. So that's what positive psychotherapy, as it began, and positive and transcultural psychotherapy. Uh, it looks at, and again, positive doesn't mean, oh, it's great, it's happy. It means it's real, it's here, and we need to deal with it. Okay. Okay. So yeah. it's also based on um, differentiation, meaning we have an emotion, but what's the emotion about? You know, maybe I'm sad or I'm angry. Well, I'm angry because somebody is doing something like the room isn't clean or the person wasn't punctual or it's not the right order and i feel that i'm not getting my needs for care or love met so it differentiates and and uh, says okay these are normal elements of life we don't need to pathologize everything we just mm -hmm. need to look at what are the needs and the difficulties the person has okay that makes sense okay, okay. so Basically, I'm going to try to paraphrase. <laughs> that was a lot of information. So I'm probably going to do a poor job. <laughs> so basically, my understanding is positive, positive psychotherapy is taking a look at what is happening in someone's life. So like if you're suffering from any sort of mental, I don't want to call them mental illnesses, but if you're suffering from um, any sort of a mental adjustment, challenge, challenge yeah. yes, difficulty, um, that it's looking at the benefits of that and focusing on how you can use that to help you move from stage A to stage B. That's, yeah, that's in part. And also okay. we look at uh, psychotherapists and psychologists look at symptoms and, you know, the diagnostic and statistical manual DSM version five now from the U.S. and the international classification of diseases, ICD-10 from Europe, these are simply manuals of a whole list of symptoms mm. and what positive psychotherapy says okay what is it that you know how what's the positive element of it again positive doesn't always mean good um, and what are the symptoms for why does this person have this symptom right because the symptom is an attempt to bring a, uh, some kind of a solution to something going on internally or even externally okay Okay. okay. So instead of just looking at the symptoms, we look at what are these strategies that the person has and how how maybe they need to be changed. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So it's like uh, the coping mechanisms and how to adjust them. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, that's super cool and very complicated. <laughs> well, saying it, you know, but actually the models itself they're quite quite simple because it's something that all of us have you know we all have emotional needs contact pleasure love and care for example and in every single family throughout the world we learn to get these needs met from our parents by being punctual or obedient or thrifty or clean or polite or whatever right and so mm -hmm. These latter parts, they're called the secondary capacities because we learned those in our families. 
The emotional needs are what's called primary capacities because we learn primarily as infants through emotions. And that's something throughout the entire world. So that part, you know, is, is much more simple and easier to grasp, I think, than abstract concepts of ego and id and superego and defense mechanisms and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. It's like everybody was a baby at one point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it makes sense. So when it comes to positive psychotherapy, how is how is that uh, in terms of how you would apply it here versus how you'd apply it in America? Like, what are the big differences? Well, one of the things here and for me working in Beijing, I've worked with people from, I think now maybe 58 different countries. Um, so unless I was in New York or Chicago, I probably wouldn't have such a diverse population, right? Fair. And because certain countries, you know, they have, we have our own expectations, right? About how things should be and the, how things need to be done and the proper order of doing things. So when I work with somebody, somebody may come and, you know, and I've had clients who've come and they were in China for two months and they were distressed and really anxious and feeling depressed because they missed their home. They couldn't understand all of the chaos around them here. <laughs> Population changes, you know, and uh, how long have you been in China, Tatiana? Oh, oh, I got to, uh, I came to China in 2018. I was in okay. uh, Zhengzhou for a year. And then I came to Beijing in 2019 in August, and then COVID happened in 2020. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so you were you've been here at a time when you know it's much more developed, and you know when Ming the civilized movement, civilization movement has happened. Because you know when I was here and early and even in 2000 and, and and such, much more chaotic, much more noise, much less clean, much less orderly, and people were not that polite. So. Uh-huh. People from Western countries come here and they really get frustrated by this. And so I would help them to understand some of the cultural differences, because this is that transcultural aspect of positive psychotherapy, how they adapted in their families and in their cultures, and how now they can, it would be better for them to adapt if they're going to be successful living in another country, right? To adapt to those. Right. That makes sense. Um, would yeah. that be something along the lines of, because I've noticed and I've talked about this, um, the difference in communication styles between most, I want to say, well, between the general understanding of Western communication versus like Eastern communication in terms of positive or not positive in terms of direct and indirect communication? Mm-hmm. Would that be one of the well, elements? Yeah, that is one of the elements because in some cultures and here and in other cultures like uh, Persian culture, Korean culture, Japanese culture, people are far more polite in the sense that the Chinese term is kochi. You know, I'm not going to tell you really what I feel because, well, I may need to keep relationship with you. I don't want to hurt you, etc. Whereas mm-hmm. other people is like, no, they're going to be far more forthright. They're just going to tell you what they think and, you know, they don't mean to hurt you necessarily, but if you hurt, ah, that's a that's on you. So yeah, that is a, sometimes a significant issue. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, with expats that I've talked to, you know, in my friend circles and beyond, that has been a real common theme. Um, the difference between how we communicate information to each other, um, like Western versus 
I don't want to say Western versus because that's not true because there are a lot of Western cultures that don't that aren't direct communicators. But yeah, like the way that China communicates the it's so drastically different than most ways we'd communicate in the States. So I know that that right, was a right. huge area of culture shock for a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, in the psycho sociological, psychological literature, they call it high context culture, low context culture. Okay. So China, Asia is very much a uh, low context culture. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, back, backwards, high context, hmm. because as an example, you have to know who's around, what are the relationships between people. As an example, years ago when Hu Jintao was the premier, he was in a city and he asked a question, is there a university here? Well, in high context, because he's Hu Jintao asking this question, the answer was no, not yet. Because oh. he was asking why there isn't one, right? But indirectly. Whereas in a low context culture, it's up to the listener to get the, as much information from the speaker. So the speaker has to be really clear, sometimes more wordy. And then the speaker be, is able to understand clearly. But high context, you figure who's around, what's the situation, who's sitting where, what's the dynamic, and then you read into it. So that is one of the issues here, for sure. Oh, okay. That's a really really interesting way of phrasing it because uh i'm i'm not an expert on china by any means <laughs> um yeah but i have been black my entire life and uh when i talk to you, <laughs> okay. i'm an expert on that <laughs> oh, yeah i would imagine sure <laughs> <laughs> and when i talk to a lot of my you know caucasian friends or my white friends um we tend to have the a similar but not to the extreme that it is in china where a lot of them are more indirect communicators where it's about relationship building as opposed to portraying of information. And so like, it's been, I, I see, I guess I wasn't shocked when I came here because I'd already had to figure it out. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I hadn't ever thought of it in the terms of high con high context, low context. Cause that, yes. it makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. Ah. That's the terminology. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's really cool. Okay, so yeah. obviously it's November and November is Men's Health Awareness Month. Um, and obviously men's health is more than just their physical well-being. It's also their mental well-being, which is why I'm so glad that you're here to talk to me and to talk about it. Um, when it comes to men's mental health, what are some challenges that are, I don't want to say unique to men, but possibly overlooked and or unique to men? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, when you ask that question, of course, you know, the way that my thinking is, is we have to contextualize, right? Men from what country, from what particular neighborhood in the country, for example, okay. uh, what, what, you know, what is their race in that particular country? Uh, you know, because all of those are very nuanced, right? Um, but I think we could say probably fairly accurately, generally, that, you know, men have been taught to be much more controlled emotionally, um, to not be as emotive, nor, you know, I mean, I've talked to many, many, many men in my career and in my life is like, yeah, they were all taught big boys don't cry, but you know, girls can, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so learning how to regulate those, and yet anger seems to be an emotion that is somehow socially acceptable ish and i'd like to be using ish <laughs> you know for men 
So I think that, you know, and of course, a lot of it, you know, Tatiana, is what's the relationship in the home with the mother and the father, right? Is there a father around even as a model? Mm-hmm. Um, does mom model more than the dad because dad's working or dad's absent? Or there are two dads around, right? Or two moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so all of those make a difference in how the male would be able to, you know, share his emotions, talk about and be vulnerable. Um, I mean, I'm over 60 and in my life I had tried creating relationships with many men. And yet when I asked the men if they liked, you know, talking about things, yes, but, you know, sports and footballs, of course, that's a sport and other <laughs> sports and other people and women and cars. And it's like, yeah, but what about feelings and thoughts and, you know, these things? Yeah, no, no, no. I don't talk about that stuff. So I think, you know, those kind of uh, formative ideas that parents give to their children, that societies give to their children. But, you know, as an American, you know, growing up at the time of John Wayne and then Pee Wee Herman came on the scene, um, you know, what's the model of a man? Mm-hmm. So okay. I think, you know, uh, because women are have, you know, women have a monthly cycle, right? They're much more susceptible and open to that fluctuation of their emotions and moods. Men have a monthly cycle. We don't have a period. We have what's called biorhythms where there are these uh, swings of particular you know ryth- rhythms in, in the biology and in mentally and cognitively etc but men are taught to kind of ignore those kinds of issues but there's a change you know my father's generation my generation my son's generation and you know now down to the new generation who people who are in their 20s who are having kids far more openness to these issues of masculinity and balance perhaps more yeah um i do seem to i'm i'm not i'm only, i'm 34 um okay so i'm not super old <laughs> but i'm also not super young <laughs> <laughs> okay and i've noticed that there has been a bit of a swift a, a bit of a shift from mm-hmm. um i guess i don't want to say because i i was obviously not around for the john wayne era but i do remember growing up around the idea of men are tough men are tough men are tough mm-hmm. But now there's definitely seems to be more of a swift, a, like a shift towards being a bit more open and vulnerable, especially with the rise of, I don't want to say calling out of toxic masculinity, but identifying that that is not a positive trait and that it's, we should be focusing on vulnerability. Um, so I have seen the shift a bit, but I guess I now have questions about toxic masculinity. like. At uh-huh. what point, like, how how do you define toxic masculinity? I think that, that should be where we start. So how do you define that? Well, I mean, if we look at what's happening, of course, in the media with particular actors, right, um, particular directors in Hollywood, um, even particular, you know, scenes in movies about men on subways, for example, who are aggressive or who grab women's bottoms, you know, or all these kinds of things, that's pretty toxic. Right. Um so, you know, a man being that assertive and that aggressive when other people feel really unsafe um, and the guy who doesn't really listen and, and change the behavior when they're given an opportunity to because they feel, no, they can be right. Okay. Um, and 
you know, I, I, I'm going to say something, I'm going to throw out any kind of political correctness here, but if we see who the last president in the United States was, this guy's <laughs> kind of toxic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think, you know, now, and you know, Tatiana, that in the United States, when I was a teenager, the, um, you know, women's rights movement would began and, uh, you know, women's the amendment for females in the United States and it's still not ratified. Right. And, you know, that's 40 some years and it's like, okay, you know, so I think this idea of toxic masculinity is such that people are threatened, people are uncomfortable, these males don't listen. And maybe it's because these guys are angry because they can't be vulnerable and they're afraid and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. So that's some of the thoughts about it. What about you? Oh, <laughs> my thoughts on toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, I guess I'm a bit more controversial. I I have a real hang up on us labeling everything toxic. Um, mm. Like I, I get I get really annoyed with my friends when they start talking about toxic positivity and toxic masculinity because uh-huh. it has been my experience that people don't always look up what things mean before they Mm -hmm. apply it to things. So you might have someone who has one angry outburst and now he's toxically masculine. Um, Even though we've abandoned the context for which the outburst occurred and now we're putting them in the same category they put us in where we go, you don't listen. Um, So I have a bit of a issue with, uh, I guess, the way society chooses to acknowledge how these things evolve you know like obviously men groping women and um cat calling all that's terrible we should def they should definitely stop doing that (laughs) Um, but I, i guess for me when i think of toxic masculinity i kind of feel like there's masculinity and then there's femininity and then there's a middle and mm we should be focusing on figuring out how to get everybody to the middle <laughs> as opposed yeah, to being I like you uh-huh. got this extreme behavior punish you can we like get everybody to the middle <laughs> so. yeah and you're you're right about that i do agree with, and i like that differentiation because you know someday somebody's having a, a bad day or a bad moment they get angry but it's really uncharacteristic um however that is how people categorize you know and yet if you're standing in a line one day and you're tired and you haven't slept well and, you know, things are going on really bad and you get angry, you think, yeah, I just had a bad day. Mm-hmm. But you saw somebody else do it and you think, wow, what an angry person. So you're right. I, I do agree. And because I haven't lived in American culture for well, 24 years, I I don't. You know, I mean, I, I, I defer to you. You're you know more <laughs> about that than I do, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I suppose. I was like I said earlier, I'm permanently black, so a lot of the traits that people equate to toxic masculinity are often applied to black women, um, and not obviously not the groping and stuff like that, but like the anger, or like the, like stuff like that where it's like you're it's taken out of context or, there are emotions I'm not allowed to display because mm-hmm. they're instantly they instantly become something not that they're not you know like, if right. I'm upset then I'm an angry black person as opposed to Let's talk about what just happened that made me feel this way. Um, so uh-huh. I guess it, it gives me a lot of sympathy for men who have uncharacteristic outbursts, um, not men who are repeatedly doing awful things, you know? I agree. 
You bet. And anybody, right? And that's why, you know, when when I think about, you know, men's mental health or men expressing emotions, I mean, I've worked with men who are deeply, deeply emotional. Um, and, you know, others who are just it's like, no, you want me to have emotions? What the hell's wrong with you kind of guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's got to be such a huge like shift though, because I've I've seen I've seen that in like my relationships with men. There are some that are just deeply emotional, and it makes me feel bad that that makes me uncomfortable <laughs> because, uh, oh, it oh, shouldn't, because it shouldn't. Yes. And but it's but I also know that it's my programming and that's something that I need to work on. Um, uh-huh. But it's 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 the way we were we've been conditioned. It's not like men have just as many emotions as I do. They should have the freedom to express them. Um, but yeah, I've seen the shift and I, it's, I've also seen, a, a in my, at least in my circles, a rise of men being willing to go get mental health services. But I also know that that's not a universal thing because it's still very stigmatized. So is it, why, what are the barriers to, I mean, I guess stigmatiz- stigmatization is one of them, but what are the, what are the barriers between men and mental health services and support? Okay. Uh, before we move on, I want to mention something about, about this, what you're talking about, difference between toxic, toxic masculinity and somebody having an outburst, right? Because right. this is c- c- uh, called the fundamental attribution error, that I would judge somebody as toxic or as aggressive if I see him one time. But if I have that, then I wouldn't consider myself because I know myself, right? Exactly. So that fundamental attribution error, I think, is is an important element for us to be aware of. It's one of the 50 cognitive biases we have. Okay. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. Like, it I is. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these <laughs> things for us to be to be really aware of is, you know, why do we think that everybody should be calm all the time? And Tatiana, have you seen the uh, TV program called Black Mirror? Oh, I love Black Mirror. I am okay. kind of convinced that we are living season six right now. Oh, OK. Um. <laughs> That's cool. So, you know, season three, episode one, there's one is about social media or social uh, credit system. And there's one woman yeah. who gets angry and loses all of her credit scores and yeah, ends up going so. to jail. Right. And so, yeah, I think, unfortunately, you know, because of this idea of this toxicity, it's like, wow, I have a I'm angry for very justifiable reasons here. But. As you said, instead of talking about the reasons and breaking it down and really hearing, we're just going to label it and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that so, episode was about that, but you're, I wanted <laughs> to mention that. Now, your question again, please. <laughs> um, my question was, what are some of the, ba- what, what do you think the, one of the, or the barriers are to men accessing mental health support? But I feel like that it, it definitely ties in um, because if, if there are consequences to having outbursts, then what is my buy-in to go get services? So I, I kind of feel like your explanation a minute ago just kind of explained part of my question. Okay. <laughs> but my, my question was basically, um, what is it that keeps men from getting services? I definitely have seen more willing to do so, but yes. what is it that keeps men from doing that? Well... I mean, there's a number of factors. The first one for me as a male psychotherapist, I think there are not a lot of men doing counseling and psychotherapy. There are far more women. Um, 
And so sometimes men don't want to talk to a woman about things that, you know, they want a male's perspective. That's one aspect of it. Uh, another aspect, you know, men and women's brains literally are shaped differently, right? Uh, between the hemispheres, uh, there is a bundle of nerves. It's called the corpus callosum. Mm -hmm. And it connects right, half, right hemisphere, left hemisphere together. And in women, it's they're bigger. It's a, it's a bigger connection. Um, and then the way the hormones and neurochemicals work in our bodies are really quite different. Mm -hmm. So as an example, uh, if you're under stress and I'm under stress, our brains will both have the similar reaction. But for you, your body will create more oxytocin and you'll seek out, generally speaking, women will seek out more contact to be able to talk about it. Okay. And for men, we'll create less oxytocin and generally speaking, we will seek isolation. Oh, that'll help with my communication skills. Okay. <laughs> I just, Good. I just, I now see how I've possibly made things worse. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Because like it feels like the hard wiring is if we're having an argument, let's let's talk about it right now. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh. For, for some people, it's like, no, I mean, guys get flooded easier than women do. There's a lot of science behind this. And so, you know, because the man wants to be most generally speaking, you know, men want to be reasonable and mature adults and keep the relationships, but they get flooded more emotionally quicker and angers again or whatever fear and they you know they need time and the other part party partner excuse me if it's female she may want to do it now but you know it's not always black and white because there are many women who need time and they get flooded so again it's an individual kind of thing that's fair that's fair okay um but i think again why it's difficult for some men because of the models, right? You know, men should be strong. You shouldn't talk about your problems. Um, I've had men that I've worked with who, you know, when they tell me something, they're in their 40s and they feel like they're betraying their family by telling me something, the family secret, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so those are particular mythologies. And I think also because men haven't learned in the same way as women how to be with this fluidity of emotions, um, we have had the disadvantage of having it modeled and even learning about it in schools uh, to where we can understand, okay, well, I'm feeling angry. What's the appropriate way to communicate this? I'm feeling really frightened. Well, why am I frightened, right? To, again, to step back from it and to differentiate it. Um, and so those are, you know, again, very briefly, those are some of the reasons why men and, you know, they don't reach out for help. And it's also, they don't want to appear weak. You know, to, yeah. to cry, to bring out these emotions for some humans, for some men, is, is, is a sign of weakness in their minds. It's so sad because emotions don't make mm. you weak. Not processing. No, not processing emotions are human. I mean, every animal has emotions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I guess because uh, I was thinking about what you were saying and I was processing it because I'm, I'm a teacher while I'm here and I was processing it through the lens of a lot of my students and I teach sixth grade and a lot of my boys are very, mm -hmm. they don't know what to do with their feelings. Mm -hmm. And 
I've noticed it with like the longer I'm here, the and I guess with the switching between online and in person, that obviously affects socialization of children. Yeah. And it's the outbursts are becoming more frequent and more volatile. And it's very clear that and as I watched not just the children's outbursts, but how the people around them are responding to it, it just becomes very clear that we we don't really talk about what to do with this emotion. If yeah. you're angry, what do you do with it? It's kind of a, if you feel this, shove it down and deal with it later. And that's not yeah. healthy. That's yeah, not and you're at, a, at an age with the students that I'm sure many, all of these boys are either cooking in testosterone puberty or they're going to be cooking in it. Um, and the changes that happen in the teenage brain and the front, you know, behind the forehead of, of the prefrontal cortex for all of us as a species is significant. And the, you know, as this hormone begins flooding, it's, it's, it's really disorienting for the individual. You know, you, I imagine you remember when you were a teenager and all the stuff that was beginning to develop in your body and in your yeah. brain, right? <laughs> yeah. It was the end of the world every day. Uh-huh. You want to go back and do it again? Get it right? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the end of the world every single day. <laughs> uh-huh. That's right. And so for guys, and of course, you bring in something that's essential. You know, in China, the way the pandemic is playing out and still playing is quite different than any other place. And the anxiety and the stress and the fear is just, you know, it's seeping into everybody. But people don't stop and keep in mind we're in a pandemic here. This is crazy. Lockdowns and lockdowns and testing and lockdowns. And hey, you know, government here has their reasons and they're going to do what they're going to do anywhere. But um, for teenagers, especially young sixth, seventh, eighth grade boys, you're right. You know, for having some education about what's happening in their brain, what's happening in their body and what's happening emotionally is essential. But yeah. we don't do it. Yeah. Like I had a situation with one of my students where he got really upset and he started throwing chairs and the response of the people around was kind of to like, uh, like hold him down. And it blew my mind because my instinct was to walk over and like, just have him look at me and go, it's okay, breathe. And mm -hmm. that did mm -hmm. a much better job than trying to pin him <laughs> and yeah. it just it, it amazed me that the instant response was this behavior is not acceptable stop it stop it stop it as opposed to yeah. let it out so we can address what the root cause is we're not going to get to the root cause if i'm if i'm not letting you let it out so let it out in a constructive way let breathe let's just breathe and uh, so something i've started in my class for like all of my students <laughs> is every uh, almost every class period we do breathing ex exercises we do box breathing because I, I while I can't change my curriculum to make it more based on emotional intelligence I can at least be like okay we're all getting worked up square breathing time um, uh -huh. but it, it blows my mind that that's not I'm, I'm not breathing exercises specifically but that emotional intelligence it's like we're not at all really teaching our children anything that they need for the future <laughs> yeah. in terms of how to deal with emotions. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And there is a psychiatrist in the United States. His name is Mark Goulston, 
who wrote a couple of books, but one of them uh, is, is is called Talking to Crazy. How to talk when people get like this and they're flooded, right? And another one he wrote is called Just Listen. So, you know, as a therapist, I've read, of course, a lot about communication and listening, et cetera, et cetera, because that's my profession. But, you know, Tatiana, I, I, I agree with you. And sometimes I, I think, when is our species really going to try to become intelligent or show intelligence and say, <laughs> hey, we need to teach about emotionality, about communication, about parenting, about healthy relationships to our kids when we're at least in high school. So that way we can prepare them for life. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like I when I look back to my time in school, um, something I really remember the teachers that I still remember were the teachers that personally bonded with me and it made it easier for if I had a feeling for me to feel safe to let it out and yeah. it's and so I, I want to be that person I am a human therefore I fall short but I want to be yeah. that person as much as I can and I kind of wish that that was a model that was not just in our education system but throughout the way we communicate with people in general more of a figuring out better ways to I guess as the book's title says listen to each other and, yeah. just listen you know, that's right yeah like, yeah it's like it's i feel so bad but also vindicated <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah no i mean it is one of these things that i've thought about for years and years and years you know what is it about our species that our school systems don't have this and you know we look at a divorce rate of 50 percent or higher and you look at you know the male health problems and now females are joining right you know earlier mm -hmm. death heart disease etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, yeah yeah but we don't say hey why don't we try to do something different here yeah i kind of yeah. wish we would it would be nice <laughs> it would be nice i agree <laughs> sometimes it feels like i'm shouting into the void <laughs> mm. but when it yeah. comes to men's mental health, what is what is what is something that women can do to better support the men in our lives? Well, I think the first thing I would really recommend is to help your partner to communicate better. Um, and I mean that because, again, going back to something I said earlier, men get flooded emotionally much quicker than women do. And our ability to help our partner understand in ourselves, right, to kind of stay calm. And if our partner gets angry for us just to not engage and maybe even step back or say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step away here, right, you know, because I don't think this is productive. Um, and literally to, you know, help them to learn how to communicate and how to listen more. As well to recognize because again, you know, every male's different, every family's different, how we express emotions are different. Um, but to help the man feel safe, right? To be vulnerable. Yeah. Because, you know, again, this is not a male-female thing. It's a human thing. But from my experience as a man and working with many men, there's a wonder, my brain just went, oh, there's a wonderful video on YouTube by a guy named Mark Gungor, G-U-N-G-O-R. Okay. And it's on male brain and women's brain. Okay. And uh, it's he says, you know, women's brains like spaghetti. Everything's connected to everything else, right? <laughs> and men's brain is like 
boxes. I've you got a box that. for this and a box for that, and right. And so, you know, if any human feels safe being vulnerable, bringing something up, and their mistakes from five, twenty-five, thirty-five, forty years ago doesn't come up and get thrown at them, then they'll be able to be safe, right? Yeah, they'll be able to communicate better.、Um, and I think also for women to communicate more. For example, even sexually, for women say, "Hey, you know, this is what I like. This is what I don't like." You know, and to help the man understand herself physically, sexually, and for the guy to feel that, you know, I don't know what to do for a woman's body necessarily, but okay, I can learn to be open for that as well. Something as simple as that. Yeah, that that tracks. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do find that. Uh, there's a video floating. I don't know if you watched Trevor Noah at all.、Um, so, was,、uh-huh. yeah, he was talking about like one of his between the scenes. He mentioned that there was like an article about men aren't getting enough sex, but he basically was like, it's not necessarily that; it's a lack of intimacy. And、yeah. I guess so. Now, my question is: when we talk about intimacy, what exactly does that what what does that look like? Because it's not. I feel like it's one of those things that we just kind of go. It's this, and it's it's such a broad thing. <laughs> yes. What so? What is what does intimacy look like in communication? Well, that's a good question. That last couple words in communication too really shifts something of it.、Um, because I think, and when I work with people, I make a clear distinction between if they're married or whatever, you know, between sexuality and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, a number of people, more male than females, equate sex with intimacy, whereas for a woman、um, or you know a, a gay man who may be more feminine, he, for them intimacy is cleaning the house, it's going shopping, it's doing something that is unusual or out of the ordinary, or even sitting and communicating.、Um, so when I work with The clients I work with as couples, you know, lesbian couples or、uh, gay couples,、um, often one of them thinks intimacy is sex, and so I help them to broaden it. Say no, sometimes sitting next to your partner, holding her hand, holding his hand, just listening to him, putting your arm around him, spending time walking. This is where the idea of the love languages, right, the five love languages,、mm-hmm. come in. Right. Because what's good, for, what you know, what you feel is intimate.、Uh, the guy you're with doesn't think that that's intimacy because that's not his model. Right. Okay. So when you mention love languages, I have noticed that quite a few guys end up with physical contact as their top love language, though. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if if that is their main form of love, if that's their main love language. But intimacy isn't necessarily sex. What can women do to support them in broadening that definition? Well, I think that part of it is one is education, right? I'm, I'm, I believe absolutely in in education. And for example, when I begin working with my clients who have anxiety, the first session I'll do psychoeducation about the brain and anxiety and what's happening physically. So I think they can help educate the man.、Um, also, I think that、um, what the woman could do is to literally take time and say, "Hey, this is my body. Please treat me in this way. I'd like you to this that kind of thing." To feel comfortable with it,、mm-hmm. um, 
and also to be able to help the man to understand you know this is what intimacy looks like for me because you know we you in the united states and where you come from tatiana i'm from illinois okay so you from illinois somebody from florida somebody from georgia somebody from california right even in a in a black african american family or whatever cultural family we all have different family culture so we all have models differently about what intimacy is mm-hmm. you know if we yeah, see mom fair. and dad fight or kiss or hug or whatever those become parts of the dynamic that's fair because i know my love language is acts of service okay <laughs> But I've known that about myself for ages, so it's a lot easier for me to explain <laughs> that you can uh-huh. talk all you want, but I ain't to see you clean them dishes. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's very intimate, isn't it? <laughs> like, I, I'm all about the I love yous. They're great, but like, wash the dishes <laughs> yep. without me saying wash the dishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And so that's how women can help right help men to understand um that this is what it is that how intimacy looks like to me because again we think that oh well this is what intimacy looks like for me because i grew up and you're going to think the same thing instead of us learning that no no we're all shaped differently and what is it that it looks like for you okay yeah so like i I, we actually kind of already touched on it because there was that reddit thread about the trans man uh-huh. who, who had noticed that when when they transitioned, they noticed that they weren't allowed to be as, you know, intimate with mm-hmm. males as they had been while they were a female. Yeah. And I guess that from what we're talking about, I can see how that happens. <laughs> um, but it seems like it would be very lonely um, for men to not be able to form connections the same way that traditionally women can. Um, and like my male friends that form bonds with like other females, like with me, like, I know that's different though, than them being able to form bonds with other men. So what is something that men can do to better bond with each other, um, to help the destigmatize the idea of that having emotions and being vulnerable isn't weakness. Cause like you mentioned earlier, like your friends who are, they don't want to talk about feelings. They want to talk about football. Like what yeah. can... What can men do to help each other, support each other? Well, I think part of it comes down to contact. Women are comfortable contacting each other, holding each other's arms, their hand, putting their arm around each other, hugging each other. Um, Men aren't as comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. There's lots of reasons why. Um, But one of the things when I first moved into China and I moved in Kunming in Yunnan province and it was 1998, And it was intriguing because men and women there were both walking around holding hands and arm in arm. And coming from the United States, and I visited San Francisco before, it's like, huh, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, I pretty quickly updated my, my, my mental model and recognized they're comfortable with that. There wasn't at that time the social stigma here of two men arm in arm, hand in hand, walking down the street. Yeah. So I'll share this. My my best friend, my brother from another mother, is a guy who was from Iran. And you know, we have a rule that no naked hugging. Right? We <laughs> hug. I love it. 
<laughs> so you know when we're together we we hold each other deeply for a long time because we know that that bond that contact is important it also creates oxytocin in the brain and creates a bond mm-hmm. so for men to feel comfortable doing that with other men and not feel that oh this isn't masculine because it's human right mm-hmm. We humans need contact. Um people who don't have contact as an infant, they don't develop normally. Mm-hmm. People who don't have contact as an adult and there's a crisis in the western world and Japan as well as there's a lot of old men who are very lonely, who have very few male friends because they don't make connections like women do. Physical connections, you know, emotional connections. So I think You know there is that that interesting dynamic women are comfortable hugging each other and thinking it's just friendship it's human connection guys put a lot more into it and it's really sad yeah that's fair it's sad yeah. very sad yeah 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 i could definitely see it i i also think and you tell me correct me if i'm wrong um and i've noticed that as i get older it's actually harder to make friends than it was when i was younger mm-hmm. but i do seem to see that my that women are it's easier for us to go out and make new friends yeah. than it seems to be for men um in similar situations like it's i i have i'm less i have less issues with going out and i still have issues cuz social anxiety but uh-huh. it seems that women have less issues with going out and making new friends than than men do unless of course they're joining a sport um i agree yes yeah and and this is where you know again i i mentioned it earlier about the way that oxytocin works in our body. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone, it's also a stress hormone. And so for us men and when I do presentations to men or to large groups, I bring this out to say what we need to do as guys is somehow go against our biochemistry and recognize we need to develop networks so that way we're not that lonely and if we are lonely to reach out to our friends. Okay. But Women are similar in this, you know, when they and I ask them, well, if you're lonely, do you reach out to your friend? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a burden to them. Yeah. Say, well, okay. But if your friend reaches out to you, do you ever think she's a burden? Oh, Sometimes. no, not at all. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes. Yeah, so it's like these double standards. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes they are yeah. indeed a burden. But <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's nuances Sometimes, or shades yeah. of it. <laughs> but I, yeah. I do I do agree because it's it's very much if it's hard sometimes because you don't want to burden your friends with your problems and but I also feel like that that falls into the category of what type of bonds do we form with people and I, I know like being an expat being an expat means that you tend to form relationships that are more transient yeah and so because of that they might not be as deep like my best friend and I have been friends for 20 years Um, mm. which I still think is a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it is. We are basic like I can call her and tell her whatever and if she is bothering me, she understands. I can just be like, "I I don't have the necessary bandwidth yep. for this. Let's do it later." <laughs> But yep. it's it was years to get to that place and I don't expect to form that type of a bond with anyone here. So I kind of feel like that's an additional element <laughs> to You're right. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, in my profession, you know, it's quite different because being a psychotherapist, right? It's hard when I meet people and I tell them my job, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't, you know, some of them I don't see after that. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they think that, oh, I'm going to try to understand their mind or I can, you know, Chinese have said, oh, you're a psychologist. Can you read my mind? And I say, absolutely. As soon as you tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's an element of it and you know that's part of the profession i get that but um before i became a psychotherapist when i was just doing teaching there is you know as as i get older as well it is more challenging and you're right tatiana you know as an expat and you know living in china which is a very fluctuating community and you know 2020 2021 2022 and 2023 there's a massive exodus of expats from this community yeah you know <laughs> yeah it's been i've had to restart my friendship circle several times part of yeah. it was because i quit drinking but uh -huh. okay other Good. than that i still had to restart my friendship circle several times just because people are very much come and go so it's hard to form those strong yeah. bonds so i could see if like as a male if you're if you're not comfortable forming them to begin with and then you're in a situation where you don't even know if people are going to stay. I can mm -hmm. see where that would be an extra layer of like difficulty. Yeah. And, and like, it's hard to be vulnerable. You know, it really is. And the older we get, the more we got to be vulnerable about. Right. So it's oh like, yeah, how much do I want to share? <laughs> <laughs> what thing am I comfortable having come back and bite me later? Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's right. Or... Or to, to say, okay, well, all the rest of this stuff, okay, I've done resolved that, you know, that's that. I don't need to talk about and connect with people on my shadow anymore. You know, <laughs> I can connect with them on the other things of life too. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. That's fair. It's, I, I also, and this is, I guess, shifting a bit. Um, I kind of feel like trauma plays into mm. how we communicate with each other too. Because like when we come from our place of origin, we don't, we don't necessarily know like if when, I, when I'm back home, I'm in a small town. I have a general understanding of exactly what every, a general understanding of what people in my area have been through. But then you come here and you don't know the backgrounds of like what your friends, what the people next to you have been through. Like you don't know right. who's from a place of famine or who's from a place of, of surplus or who's from, a, who's from, or what their life in their countries. Like we just have these um, generalized ideas of this country equals this and mm -hmm. i and i've because i've noticed and this is like sorry i'm like off off kilter but i've noticed that at least in beijing because it was not like this in Zhengzhou, there's a lot more country groupings um uh, yeah. than there were in in like smaller cities because there there aren't that many people from your country so you yes. all more together so i kind of feel like that also creates issues with bonding with men and with women because like, so if I, if I find a group of Americans, I am still a black American. So if I'm in a group of black American or a group of Americans and I've got white men, white women, black men, black women, there's still that hierarchy that exists even within that group. Mm. So it's like reinforcing trauma. And, uh, and then you're also in, insulated because you're now in a space with even fewer people. So I could see where bonding would be harder because you look, you're looking for something that's common. Like you're looking for familiarity but sometimes that familiarity <laughs> is trauma-based. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I could see that being, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like drawing connections like all over the world right now. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, that's fair. man, this is like I can see how this is causing this. But uh-huh. yeah, I'm I'm a little obsessed with trauma and how it impacts our lives. <laughs> well, I you know, I, I agree with you, and I think this is one of the dynamics, right? People are bullied, guys bully guys, right? Girls get bullied by girls too. But yeah. how we respond to it is different and how it shapes us is different. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, the ACEs study. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, it was done in the United States by Kaiser Permanente and I'm not sure, National Institute of Health or whatever, another national health organization. Um, and they identified 10 areas of adverse childhood experiences that shape the traumas that we have, right? Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical or emotional neglect, mental illness in the family, um, seeing and having a relative be in prison, mother treated violently, some kind of substance abuse in the family or divorce. And for, you know, we look at American culture and for me, knowing Chinese culture, yeah, that's every human culture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way in which we never we don't often acknowledge trauma and i have an image and imagine this you know somebody is taking a a person's head and they're looking inside and inside are you know different elements of trauma and bombing because it, you know person grew up in war can you imagine being ukrainian or russian right now how traumatic that is or you know here with uh, living in you know the time of the 60s and the chaos and these traumas are often just kind of brushed aside they're not really addressed because they're not comfortable you know and the genocide and everything else so you're right tatiana you know we meet people here they're you know they're other people from other countries but we don't know what's inside of them and we think unless we're really nuanced in our thinking we think well you kind of should be like me right but you're right. right otherwise these traumas are repeated and repeated yeah it's like I, i've noticed it in terms of how people bond with each other or how long bonds last because you know we all start off with superficial bonds and then as you get to know people you get to realize wait a minute <laughs> this is your trauma and my trauma are, are triggering each other or yeah. um things like that so i could see that being a real hindrance to bonding especially if like for most men especially if you have like because when you look at male culture in america even because it's not it's not a it's not a statement of fact to say that even the worst areas are better off than other parts of the world because that is actually just not true according yeah, not to the true. un <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's not true. that's right that's right but for for the vast majority we can we can stay we can say that there's an element of privilege that may not exist in other other areas of the world so when i'm looking when i'm when you have men who come from a state of privilege their problems with bonding are going to be different you know Mm -hmm. than the problems of someone from a place of lack and i just wonder is there a way for i don't want to say women to fix men's problems because i'm not trying to do that (laughs) yeah yeah good (laughs) (laughs) is there a way for us to learn to better communicate with each other in a way that doesn't um uh, doesn't cause like doesn't mitigate i don't want to say mitigate that's not the right word um doesn't ignore or invalidate that doesn't invalidate other people's experiences like if i've never been in war i've got a movie version of it i don't have 
I don't have that firsthand impact. So is there a way to, for us to work on our communications with each other that doesn't invalidate other people's experiences, but also allows us to bond? Um, that's a super large question and I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no problem. Um, help me to understand how your mind's working on this. One. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there is Tatiana, but it goes back to us learning how to listen, right? Learning how to slow down, how to not assume that I know the words you're saying. Um, that, oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe the words you're saying mean the same thing I think they mean, but maybe not. So let me ask. Um, example, when I was teaching psychology at a university in, in Guangzhou many years ago, um, I asked the students, I said, how many of you have been, you know, were abused as children? couple of them raised their hand and I said, well, what did your mother, you know, what happened to you? And they said, well, my mom would slap my hand a couple times. Say, oh, okay. That's what abuse means to you. Now I understand, right? Because yeah. I come from a culture where abuse is quite different, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so I think those are, you know, the elements of us learning how to listen and how to communicate and not assume that we know what these words mean. Mm. Um, and so I think that's one way in which people, you know, women can help with the men and also to help nuance these elements of communication, of intimacy, as you mentioned, uh, even, you know, sexuality, uh, recognizing that. A book by John Gray many years ago, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Mm. And, you know, he talked about men going into caves. And that, you know, some men, yeah, when they get down or they're stressed, they need time by themselves. And the woman could let him do that. Mm. You know, if evolutionary history gives us any evidence of reality, then you know women were much more together when the men were out hunting and gathering and women had this bonding that men didn't have in the same way you know we're no longer hunter gatherers and there's quite a bit of difference between us but you know the the elements of our brain are really really ancient compared to our social structures and the ways in which men and women relate together okay so okay. that makes sense yeah yeah. I've actually had that conversation. Um, like I said, everything comes back to, you know, me being black, a black female, because that's the the lens through which I see the world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've I've had this conversation with several of my, with my white friends, because we'll say the same word. And eventually I will realize that that word has two separate meanings to each of us. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, we need to like figure out which definition we're using before we can proceed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that takes time, you know, and that's one of the challenge. Um, I mean, as a you know white American male who grew up in Southern California in the 1950s and 60s, very different experience of life than somebody growing up even in, you know, Florida or Georgia or anywhere like that, right? right. Um, so, yeah, to be aware of where we're coming from and not assume that everybody's like this. And in the clinical work that I do, when people tell me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm from China and this is what Chinese do, and oh, or I'm from, you know, uh, Italy and we Italians, and I say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How many Italians have you met? You know, How many Chinese? There's 1.4 billion. How many Chinese have you met and really talked to, to say we Chinese? But we generalize and, you know, we'd like to use these heuristics to lump everybody together. 
going back to that particular aspect of you know that bias you know we all have these biases that is normal for us and our ability to go oh wait a minute am i just making a bias here right now you know is this a confirmation bias i'm doing is this uh you know fundamental attribution error and and, and so to, for us to really think we've all got biases our brain wants to simplify everything mm. and that's what takes a challenge and i think our species has so many problems it takes a lot of work to be an adult <laughs> I know. I wish I could go back. <laughs> You're finding out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, adulting is so, so much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As kids, people, oh, I want to grow up. I want to grow up. No, 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 no. You no, want no, to get, no. enjoy it, be naive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, to know. <laughs> mm, no, indeed. No, to understand. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay. So that that tracks. I know I asked like a huge question. Um. But like, I guess, because when I, when I speak to people, like, like the closer you get to people, the more comfortable they are being vulnerable. And then mm -hmm. you end up sharing your traumas. Um, and then it becomes a matter of, do I know how to sit with this person's trauma? Um, and it's, especially for men, if you're already uncomfortable being vulnerable, and then you share a trauma with me that I can't carry, mm -hmm. uh, that rejection would also not be good. <laughs> so figuring out ways to better communicate with each other, but also how to hold each other's eat. I don't, cause like everybody's not supposed to carry your trauma, but like how to support each other in a way that allows us to sell, set healthy boundaries while also um, keeping vulnerability an option. Yeah, yeah. How do we empathize with people? I'm really sorry you had this experience, not sympathy. Oh, poor you. Right. But wow, you know, in that situation, yeah, I could see how that would, you know, that's your reaction. And how not to identify with people. Oh, you know, I've had this problem too, you know, and I know what you're feeling because we really probably don't know what they're feeling. Um, we can imagine what I'm feeling, but I'm only imagining what you're feeling based on what I think I'm feeling, right? Right. And so our ability to not project these into into others. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's one of these things, I think, Tatiana, that's a really beneficial element. I'll plug the field of psychotherapy and counseling is as we are able to digest the trauma, to work through the trauma, to integrate the trauma, we no longer have to connect with people on trauma. That's a common thing because we all have it in common and that's kind of the shadow part of us. But once we're able to integrate it and see, yeah, this is what shaped me, but it doesn't define me anymore because I've, I've understood it. It has to change the brain. It has to change the physiology. It has to change the thinking model. So then when I sit and talk to people, yeah, I may share some, some of the past, but I don't need to because there's lots of other fascinating elements of life and we can connect on, right? Okay, that's fair. All right. Yeah. So basically, the idea of Carl Jung's shadow and how that, how once yeah. we integrate it into ourselves, we don't, it's a part of us. It's like a piece of your path, but it's not you. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and you don't project it out on others and you don't assume others had the similar kind of experience. And you know, I remember years ago, uh, before I moved to Beijing, working with a young woman who was from uh, Eritrea, you know, Ethiopian Eritrea had been at war for generations, it seems like. And when this woman would leave, me and my 
naive little white American male mind uh, who, you know, served in the military after Vietnam War and such. But when she would leave, I would break down and cry because I could not imagine to be shaped by that kind of trauma. Yeah. You know, but she worked through it. And she's now living in the United States, wrote a, a book about, you know, uh, in integrating into American culture and is a oh. U.S. citizen and does all kinds of awesome stuff. So, yeah, you know. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I guess because uh, yeah. I've got this real another one of the things I just don't care for is uh, trauma bonding. Uh, um, yeah. But not because I know there's like trauma bonding, the definition of like you bond with someone who's hurt you not like that trauma bonding like uh -huh. trauma bonding in the sense of we all find a group of people to like rehash our pain over and yeah. over and over and over and over and over again and i think that that is unhealthy yeah. <laughs> but it i've is. noticed an increase in that model of support and i've noticed it becoming the go-to for certain men um because mm. it's like they're unable to be vulnerable with each other, but they have all the stuff they need to let out, but they don't feel comfortable going to a therapist, but then they want to find people to talk to. And then yes. I see them forming groups, but the function of the group becomes everybody in there letting stuff out that everybody in there isn't capable of holding. And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are those elements of men's groups for sure. Um, and, you know, it's one of the elements, you know, here in China, there is at times, and um, are you familiar with Bear Bear Project? I, B -A -R -B? I am. Okay. I am. Yeah. So, you know, Bear is a trans uh, a, a platform that allows different. You know, has different kind of networks, um, and there are sometimes some men on there who post some different workshops and grouping stuff. Beijing Mindfulness Center used to do uh, ish workshops like that. That I think that's going to be changing. Um, there used to be meetups that would do it but because of the pandemic policies and people just can't get together those have changed some of them have moved online um, but unfortunately you know there's not a lot of support that i'm aware of in beijing for men to seek um, a lot of guys you know i mean they go to aa alcohol anonymous or narcotics anonymous or sex abuse anonymous right because mm -hmm. those are those shadow elements that they form together um, but as far as development groups, you know, uh, I, I've tried before here and in other cities, um, but it's just something that because of the expat life and expectations, it just hasn't mushroomed or just me. I don't, you know, I don't do it well. I don't know. Oh, no doubt. That's it. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? I'm not going to put it all on other people. <laughs> um, okay. That's fair. Because it's like, I, I guess my concern, my fear is, because uh, women, we trauma bond too. Um, uh -huh. But like my, my fear is when we don't have healthy outlets, people just create outlets. <laughs> and yeah. so then I, I start to worry about some of the men I do know who, who do look for support and they can't find it. And then yeah. creating support groups that kind of just turn into... I don't like this person. You don't like this person. This happened to me. And it's just that that's, I was like, that does not sound, you probably leave that feeling really some kind of way about yourself. And that is not the purpose of a support group. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Guess, yeah. And I think, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no. What, what were you going to say? No. And I, I, you know, for me, 
because you know if we look at uh, the expertise here of, of expats right um, not a lot of uh, foreigners are here who have training in these kinds of doing group processing group work psychological you know psychological backgrounds and such like that um, and that's in part because of the dynamics in China um, but also you know because people are making their lives in their home countries people come here you know for Uh, for employment for like you know like you and like I used to do teaching right that's mm-hmm. pretty common people working for car companies or manufacturing companies since China had been so big on manufacturing but for health services physical health services mental health services there have been fewer and fewer expats who have been here who have those kind of expertise or skill to be able to say let's have a group yeah yeah don't don't bash her right here you know that's not the purpose of the group right mm-hmm. to be able to moderate and facilitate right yeah so it should in in support groups should they be run by therapists or counselors or is there is there a way to form a support group that is healthy that doesn't require a therapist like what are what are necessary elements to create a healthy support group Well, I think uh, and I don't know if you have uh, been able to or if you've connected with any of these support groups here, but have you have you been familiar with Candle X? Yes, I do know. I do know people okay. at Candle X, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Candle X is a I think a very good support group. Um, you know, every support group has has its challenges, but I think uh Shaojie, who's the one who founded it many years ago, you know, she has really worked to create a safe space. So no doesn't have to be a therapist there, but there has to be somebody who is able to kind of moderate, right? Just like on any of the internet groups because there's lots of trolls, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I do. I do know. I know Shaojia. So yeah, that's yeah. Ken Lex is definitely an amazing service. Uh huh. You bet. Yeah. I am all for therapists. I recommend my friends go to therapists all the time, and I just I haven't been to any support groups because <laughs> I'm that friend. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm like therapy's great. Everyone should get it. And someone's like, "Are you in therapy?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. I'm yeah. that friend. <laughs> like yeah, I am yeah. fully aware that this is a healthy choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, okay, that makes sense. I'm sorry, I'm asking like a billion and one questions about like what here and here and here, um, because I kind of feel like when we support support learning how to process our own emotions helps us support other people, you know. And so well, being able to, being able to I can't I can't help you if I can't help me. Um, yeah. So I I I'm enjoying I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you because it's been very informative and I've learned so much and processed things and connected things <laughs> in my Good, brain. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean it's it's been one of these things that, you know, for us to connect because of many factors for you and illness and, you know, time and everything else. I'm glad we're able to do this and it's still timely because it's still month of November, right? It is. But honestly, I feel like and i i talk about black history throughout the year because black history is american history it doesn't end in february so i, I feel like it's the same thing for men's health like we do need to normalize talking about it more than just yeah. within that month more than just within november absolutely yeah 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 i agree yeah like uh, cuz i do have several cuz I, i back in september i did the suicide awareness panel with with helen from bear and uh-huh. um it was a it was a wonderful success and it was very informative but One of the conversations that Helena, Helen and I had were, was about the fact that 
suicide is something that impacts men more than women. Like there are more men that commit suicide than women. And yeah. knowing that information and I, uh, last year, I think maybe the year before I was going to do an episode on suicide, but just diving into the research depressed me. <laughs> I was like, this is, yeah. this is some depressed. These statistics are absolutely just a lot because it seems like it, it's at least in the States, white men in their four fifties, forties, fifties have the mm. highest rates. And then you look at why is that? And then all, all of a sudden there's this rabbit hole of depression. I was like, oh my gosh. So knowing that makes me feel like relegating men's health to November is a really bad idea. It's a bad idea. <laughs> we need to talk about this all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, our whole species, right? You know, we are as much as, you know, I don't, I don't think we're defined by our traumas, but we are a species that has been traumatized on so many levels for so many millions, thousands of years, not millions, but thousands of years. And if not directly, then indirectly, right? right. Um, but it's like, okay, yeah, that's part of our life. And, you know, this is where I think my understanding when the Buddha said, you know, life is suffering. And when uh -huh. you understand that, it just becomes life. Ah. You don't See, just continue to look at the suffering because you become you understand it and you become liberated from it. And then you have empathy with other people. Oh, wow. That is so. definitely not the way I interpreted that say. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I've always interpreted as life is suffering, so pick the thing worth suffering for. Um, well, that's a good point, too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. If it's going to yeah. hurt either way, make it worth it. Yeah, yeah. I hear you on that. You bet. But yeah, I I like the idea, of, and I, I and I see the the positive psychology and the way you explained it, because then it becomes liberating as opposed to being stuck in this negative cycle. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but it takes work, you know. I mean, it takes work to overcome this because of the way it shapes our brain, the way it shapes our physiology, the way it shapes our interpersonal relationships, and to go through that pain of working through the trauma that as a small kid who was yelled at, who was abused, who was beat, who was whatever, raped, molested, to go through that trauma that that little human being could not do mm. and experience it as the adult and to integrate that, that's painful work. And this is something that, you know, for a man, as a man, to be able to go through it as, as a human being, it's just not fun. I can imagine because I'm a female and I don't want to do it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, but yeah, it doesn't imagine. go away for us. It does not. It does not. Mm -mm. But yeah, okay, that's fair. Okay. Okay, so I feel like I have a better understanding of how to support my male friends. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> and Hopefully, I do hope whoever <laughs> listens to this, that'll help them too. I However hope so too. Have... Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. so because I do feel like we do need to have more conversations, more open, honest ones about yep. being there for each other in beneficial ways um so thank you so much um i like to end my episodes with uh when my guest episodes with a question of who inspires you hmm good question who inspires me wow when i was younger um, I think I was inspired by 
you know, the, the religious ideals, these, you know, mystics kind of characters. Um, and then as I grew older, what inspired me, of course, in my profession were, you know, psychologists. Carl Jung, I really like, although, you know, he's got his challenges. Um, but now I'm inspired by many, many people who are able to continue on living in spite of the pain of life and who don't end their life by suicide because of the impact that's going to have on other people's lives, right? They're not that right. selfish. And I, I mean that in a very kind way, because when somebody's in that deep of a pain, they don't think about the impact of their taking their life on others. Mm. Okay. And I think that connection is, is important. So those are what, that's kind of what inspired me before. Oh, okay. Okay. I like it. Actually, the selfish, you said that and I cringed a bit because that's like my biggest like issue with people when we talk about suicide. <laughs> yeah. Like we should not call people selfish. <laughs> no, no. It, but, you know, it's like people but, who are depressed, right? The ability to think deeply about themselves, but we can expand it and think about other people. That's a challenge. Yeah. That's the hard part. That's fair. That, that's a yeah. that's a way, it's an interesting way of of looking at that. And yeah. I, I think I feel like since you're a positive psychotherapist, when you say it, it doesn't have the same sort of weight as like somebody else saying it. <laughs> Good. That's not definitely not, not what I mean. <laughs> it's deeply painful, right? They just want to escape the pain. Right. Right. Okay. But, well, that's cool. Yeah. Let me end with this, and because question on this: Have you ever uh, seen the movie with Robin Williams? What dreams may come. Oh, that is one of my favorite Robin Williams movies. Yeah. See, because, you know, go ahead. And I'm sorry, no, what were you going to say? Yeah, because it's, it's one when if somebody comes to me who's suicidal, I'll ask them if they've ever watched that one. Because we don't know what's going to happen after we're here, right? We have all these ideas of what's going to happen after life. We don't know. But what if that what, that's what happens, right? His wife commits suicide and she's just stuck in that place forever. That, if a person had that thought, it's like, yeah, I want to kill myself, but I don't want that. Do I want to repeat this over and over and That's over right. again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that, like, if you believe in reincarnation, I guess there's an element of that in there, too. Because it's like, what would you come back as? Where would yeah. you come back as? Yep. Um, so, yeah. Like, I, yeah. I'm more of a fan. I, I love that movie, but I guess <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting. When he talks, when he's yeah. a therapist, because that's bet. one of my favorite movie therapists. <laughs> you bet. I agree. Uh, you bet. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. If you like this content, have a question, or want to make your opinion known, leave a comment and review on iTunes. If you want to learn more about me and my writing, check out my website, www.hopelesslytatiana.com. Or if you just want to say hi and have a chat, come find me on Instagram and Facebook by searching Hopelessly Tatiana. I'd love to hear from you. Your voice, your life, your story matters, and I'm willing to listen if you want to tell it. Consider this. If you want to learn, read. If you want to reflect, write. If you want to change, 
listen. So, thank you for listening.